Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our episode about Night at the Roxbury. So a little content warning up front. If you're not familiar uh, with uh, some of the allegations that came out in 2019 about the making of this film, you know, we're going to be talking about some like casting couch style sexual harassment uh, allegations uh, involving Chris Kattan, Lauren Michaels, and Amy Heckerling uh, in this episode. And then towards the end of the episode, we are going to talk about some of the current allegations uh, against cast members of Saturday Night Live, like Horatio Sands, and some of that involves uh, alleged sexual abuse of minors. Uh, So obviously a a sensitive topic. We want to make sure we called that out up front uh, before you listen to the episode. It's it's still a good episode. We still have fun with it, Uh, but we're going to talk about some some darker stuff uh, in this one. So again, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. an $80 ticket. She is so into you. Have a good night. It's already been good now that you served and protected me. You got her badge number, plus a month from now you got a date to meet her at the Municipal State Court. Up to So, we have a very detailed bedtime ritual for the meatball. Um, where... Like, we have to get her dressed for bed, and then her mommy reads her a story while she drinks a cup of milk. Oh. And then we brush her teeth. Right. We have to both do that, because there's a toothbrushing song, and we both have parts in it. What? And then... And then we. It's uh, upsetting that I don't get to hear to... it right now at this very moment. Well, it's 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 the toothbrushing song by Raffi. It's a Raffi song. Oh, I love um, Raffi. Yeah. And then uh, we have to, and then she goes back in her bedroom with her mommy, and then we turn the lights off, and then her mommy rocks her uh, in the glider and sings her a song. And then her mommy leaves the room, and then I come in the room with a book of poems, and I read her five poems. And then, and only then, uh, is she ready to sleep. (laughs) And then only then. I love that you guys take turns. It's like a a stage show. It's like one of you leaves the stage, and the other one comes in. To do it the, it is part. like a, um, it is like a Noel Coward comedy in many ways. <laughs> and she's the audience and the star. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so yeah, and then inevitably, I don't remember if I told you this before, but inevitably she will, get, she always gets up from her bed right. and takes all of her all of her blankets, her pillow, her stuffed animal, and puts them immediately in front of the door and builds a new bed and goes to sleep there. In front of the door? In front of the door. So I can't fucking get in. That's what I was going to say. Um, it's it's so, a push-in door, so I'm assuming she's like, I got to barricade myself in so they don't bother me? Is that what the idea is? I don't know, but basically what I have to do is I have to wait till she's asleep, like, for some time, when she's, like, pretty deep in sleep, and then... <laughs> gently slightly push her via the door and then use my squeeze my tiny body through the slightly open door and then uh and then like once i'm in the door closes again because her head's up against it so it's pitch black in her fucking room so i gotta feel on the floor for where her head is so i know how to pick her up under her arms 
And I pick her up under her arms, and I gently transport her back to her bed. And then, still in the dark, I got to get all her stuffed animals, her pillow, and her blanket, and move those to the bed around her as well, and then sneak out. Uh, now, she's a pretty heavy sleeper, so, like, <laughs> even if I make a little noise, she's not going to wake up, but right. this is every night. This is so, this and is every the idea night. of you pushing her with the door, because she's a meatball, I imagine her, like, rolling away from the door, <laughs> <laughs> like, ending up under some sort of furniture piece or something, and you have to, like, fish her out. It's very cartoonish. That's, that's, ba- that's basically... Uh, basically what it is. Uh, That's really cute. Wait, if she's a heavy sleeper, why don't you bring in your phone and use the flashlight? (laughs) So, I mean, now that you say that out loud... of you and me staring back at us while frozen on the screen crank the white noise and pretend that we're asleep we're asleep dream 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 what's up what's up what's up what's up Shoulda with Nadia Vasquez and the Chris Catan to my Will Ferrell, Tony Ginocchio. Oh man, real mixed feelings about being assigned to that role. Uh, <laughs> well, he is he's kind of the, the brains and the leader of the two. I mean that that's the thing, is like he Which is this movie is unbelievable. This, this movie is his show, yeah, right? Yeah. Like he ha- he has a bigger role than Farrell does. Mm-hmm. And also his brother, he is apparently the smart brother, uh, you know, and, and it's a sliding scale. Uh, it's just so exciting to be here, folks. You can probably already guess what we're covering, and that is a, a pillar of the SNL canon uh, with the most fucked history of most films I've ever seen in my life, and that's A Night at the Roxbury from 1998, directed by John Fortenberry. Um, hey, quick question, Nadia, quick question. Yeah. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> How is this movie one of the most iconic and quoted movies of all time? It It is, like, I was thinking about it, because like I'm like, I like this film a lot more than I should. Oh, you do? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know how you said, like, Superstar was, like, kind of one of the staples for you in junior high and high school? Yes. Um, one the, th- that was what this movie was for me. Oh, like, interesting. That doesn't, that doesn't track for you as a person, I no, don't feel like. It really doesn't, but I think when we get into details, like, there's stuff about this movie that I liked a lot that that I, I still like about movies. Like, this movie's exactly 90 minutes, and you know how I feel about that. I love that. Love that. We love a three-act, under-90-minute yeah. uh, comedy. Yeah, just get in, get out. Um, the, the every, like, A, B, and C story is tied up in the final scene in a neat little bow. Right. 
Um, just airtight screenplay. Everybody gets a happy ending, um, except I guess Molly Shannon. But it, she kind of uh, does. Yeah. Oh, you know what? She does actually. Now I think about she, it. So she's like, a I appreciate ending, that. Which I mean makes sense. Maybe she's a Capricorn or a Virgo. We don't know. We don't know. But it's like it's like a big. Um, I feel this way about Saving Silverman too. Yes, it's just I like, love that movie. A brilliant movie, and it's like, oh, it's airtight structure. Like everybody gets a happy ending. Everybody's having the time of their lives. Their their life making it, and we're all just having fun. And I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like that. That's a it's a that's a good vibe to start out with. It's not the vibe that I thought we were going into, and so I'm... Oh, it's going to get dark real quick. No, it's going to get dark. It's going to get dark real quick. It is... I do agree with you. Like, this movie, I mean, I kind of feel the same way about Superstar and about Ladies' Man, which obviously all came out uh, within a three-year stretch, uh, which is, like, the script to this movie is not stellar. Um, speak for but, yourself re superstar but okay go on but uh but you ha- but i'm sorry you give me a movie where will ferrell chris Kattan, and molly shannon are all just fucking going for it yeah. like <laughs> no matter what's in the script they're gonna make something work yes uh and uh and they do um and i just you know i, I, I know i'm talking a lot up front but the last thing i want to say is is just kind of like I, when I watched this movie for the podcast, I think, like, I just put out uh, my book, Rosemont's A Novel of Rosemont, currently available at Amazon, Smashwords, and Barnes & Noble, $5 for the ebook, 15 for print. I just put it out, like, it wasn't selling, it, like, like it hasn't sold well, and it's fine, like, because it's self-published, and I have a day job, and I don't, you know, I don't need the money, but... You know, I was feeling a little bummed about that, and, like, there were a million other things giving me anxiety. I think, like, the climate report came out that week. Like, oh, God, yeah. Uh, other just miserable stuff like that. Like the and, Delta you know, variant. We're still in Delta variant. We're in the middle of a fucking plague, and um, it's, like, 9 o'clock at night, and I put in my headphones, and I press play on this movie, and right away you get the Paramount logo and What is Love starts playing, and it's, like, I'm back in high school. I'm, like... <laughs> giant grin on my face i'm like hell yes we're doing it and then i watched the movie and i'm like yeah this is fine yeah (laughs) i remember it being a lot better but i think it was because i was like 14 when i saw it yes if if you're like 12 13 14 i think this is the best comedy you've probably seen in your life so far (laughs) yeah even in 2021 (laughs) yes um so nadia to the i mean how would we how would we describe the plot of this film? I would say the <laughs> stakes are very low, like we like for SNL. Like we like. We like this for SNL movies where uh, two brothers, played by Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell, um, want to open a nightclub, but they can't get into any, especially the Roxbury, and so they don't really know what the fuck is going on. Uh, but then they get into a tiny car accident uh, and the driver is a famous actor and doesn't want to get sued, so he gets him he gets them into a club, and then so many things happen that are dumb, and there's a wedding at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much yeah. it. I I would like to call out that uh, Catan and Farrell both are technically playing Yemeni American (laughs) brothers, Doug and Steve Butabi. And the other thing, and I actually like this, is they are the sons of a 
fake plants uh, magnet. <laughs> I love that. They're it's fa- the dad from Clueless. Yes. Which makes me uh, think uh, Alicia Silverstone in the movie, what, shouldn't she be Middle Eastern then? Yes, exactly. We need to do some recasting. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, a fake plant store. And I just love, I don't know why, because it's so dumb, but I love every joke that involves fake plants. And there's several. So many in, good ones. Of course. The, when Will Ferrell, like, grabs the roses, he's like, uh, these are real. They'll be dead in a week. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's honestly fine. Um, and... You know, when we talk about the early 90s where we got Coneheads, It's Pat, and Stuart Saves His Family. <laughs> and they took a couple years off. And they came back. They did Night at the Roxbury Superstar, Ladies Man. Obviously, three big steps up right. from Huge. those pieces of Huge. Garbage. Well, the star power behind it. And that's exactly what it is. It's just you just had way better actors in SNL. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they make it work. Uh, and... With that in mind, I, I do want to say that the history of this movie is unbelievably uh, fucked up and dark and terrible, uh, which is weird when you consider how, like, goofy and mainstream this comedy is. Yeah, this is one of those movies like uh, The Mask or uh, Something About Mary, where it came out the same year as Something About Mary, where it was yes. instantly iconic. Everyone was quoting it. It was being referenced on every other comedy ever. Mm-hmm. It, yes. it was so big. And looking back on it from the lens of 2021, I personally don't get it. I don't get why, but it's fine. It's fine. Capital It's F. fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, Nadia, you know, we're in 1998. Uh, yes. We have Chris Kattan, Will Ferrell, and Molly Shannon in the cast, yes. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I know we have a stacked SNL cast based on our previous episodes, but what else was going on uh, with SNL at the time? Okay, so we are in smack dab the middle of season 23 in 1998. Uh, our cast includes Jim Brewer. It's his last year. Will Ferrell, Anna Gasteyer. Oh, I just love her so much. She's great. Daryl yeah. Hammond. Chris Kattan, Norm MacDonald was the weekend update host only briefly this season. I'll get into that shortly. Uh, we also had Tim Meadows, Tracy Morgan, which is so fun to think about, Sherry O'Terry, Colin Quinn, who took over for update after mm-hmm. Norm was fired, and Molly Shannon. This was actually the first year that there have not been repertory players. Or, I'm sorry, no, feature players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first year we had never had a feature player. And uh, Norm MacDonald got fired this year because he was making too many jokes about O.J. Simpson. And (laughs) a couple people uh, of the higher-ups at NBC really didn't like it. So Colin Quinn eventually took over, and Norm MacDonald was just removed completely. Like, he was just like, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't really like these O.J. Simpson jokes. Why don't you just, you know, do other things? They're like, no, no, no. You gotta go. So sounds pretty dire and and we've talked about this before um i loved norm mcdonald on weekend update i just thought he was so fucking funny and he made a movie with um artie lang and chris farley uh once called dirty work um which is also extremely funny um if extremely lowbrow but well uh, it has artie in it so 
Yes, uh, but uh, you know, I just, I—it's a shame that he had to get fired over jokes like OJ saying, "Hey, that's my lucky stabbing hat" during the trial. <laughs> I, looking back, I don't see how these jokes were that bad, but back then. It was too soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just to continue on here, um, this was also the only season that the opening sequence didn't show any shots of New York City. Usually, you know, you have the cast interacting with New York in some way, but not this time. They just had black and white portraits kind of floating in and out of the screen while their names were called. And then at the end, there uh, was just a picture of the host and the musical guest, but nothing with New York City. That's very interesting. Very interesting. But we have to remember the year before was when there was season 22 was the one huge shakeup year. So I think mm-hmm. because they were getting new cast members in and out, they basically replaced 10 people. Maybe mm-hmm. they were just like, we don't want to invest too much in the opening sequence just in case we have to do that again. <laughs> so we'll just use these black and white things and like, you know. It's fine. It's just the the headshots they turned in with their audition. Basically, yeah. Um, Additionally, this was Tina Fey's first year on the writing staff, which is uh, fine. And hosts that season included Sylvester Stallone, Matthew Perry, which dates this to 1998 for sure uh we also had brendan frazier another date oh legend we we love him um by the way have you been following him recently because like he's finally like seen all the fan love for him and it's like moving him to tears he gets emotional during interviews and i cry I love him. We we love you, Brendan. We love you so much. Friend of the pod. Uh, we also yeah. had, this was Chris Farley's year of hosting right before he passed away. Super, super sad. Um, we also had Claire Danes host, Greg Kinnear, and there were many other 90s hosts. I recommend you look this up because... Cla- Claire Danes. So, like, in 98, was that Romeo and Juliet? I think so. Okay. I mean, it definitely wasn't my so-called life. I got super canceled. Um, okay, musical <laughs> guests of that season. Again, Super 1998, we had Jamiroquai, <laughs> Oasis, Bjork, Mariah Carey, The Mighty Mighty Boston's. Hell yes. Hanson, The Backstreet Boys. <laughs> Which I think I remember watching that because it was uh, Julianne Moore was the host of that episode uh, uh-huh. because my mom let me stay up to watch it. Uh-huh. And I didn't get a uh-huh. lot of the sketches, but I did see the Backstreet Boys. Um, th- just oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I just want to say the Mighty Mighty Boston's put out a song this year about George Floyd, and it's... oh yeah, we talked about that on the pod. Oh, did we? Yeah. Okay, it's incredible. Um, <laughs> it's sorry, incredible, go ahead. genuinely bad, bad, incredible. Okay. Yeah, don't. It's not. It doesn't have any value as a song, and morally, it's appalling. <laughs> but it's incredible that it got made. I love that. Um, okay, so. This was also the year, I have to mention, that both Chris Farley and Phil Hartman died. Uh, Phil Hartman's obviously was uh, equally tragic, but definitely ten times more violent. Uh, But NBC put out tributes to both of them that year, as well as a Best of Eddie Murphy special. (laughs) (laughs) So that was 1998 uh, in the SNL sphere. Huh. Well, you know, if you if you guys watched this movie along with us, and maybe you did because it is streaming, uh, like, on Amazon, I think. Yeah. Um, you might be wondering, hey, whatever happened to Chris Kattan? Ah, uh, And so I love we should him. Pro- In, we should... He's just great. And also, if you've ever seen Corky Romano, which I was 
pitching very hard for this season. But we already had a Chris Kattan movie. He's yeah. he's incredibly funny. He's great in this movie. I forgot how good his performance was, and he, he does a very good he's job. He's a solid um, actor, man. Yeah, and and so you all maybe wonder, hey, what what happened to Chris? What happened to that guy? Well, here's what fucking happened. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and so this became a story two years ago, Mm -hmm. basically, um, when Chris Kattan put out his memoir, Baby Don't Hurt Me, Stories and Scars from Saturday Night Live, uh, Mm. which is not a great title, uh, and it sounds like a Papa Roach song, but, uh, (laughs) Cut my life into pieces. Right. This is nothing like a Papa Roach song because it involves people actually having sex. And so what <laughs> what um. Catan said, and I remember hearing about this. His book came out, and I remember hearing about it on Jack AM, which was Jack Allison and Kate Raft's morning show. I remember uh, Seth Simons, who's a, a comedy journalist, reported on it. Like, basically... When this movie was, like, in the pre-production, like, before they were shooting, um, Lorne was angling really hard to get Amy Heckerling to direct the movie. Now, Heckerling directed previous Probably Shoulda Selection, Look Who's Talking, (laughs) which is not a good movie, but it was one of the very first movies to make over $100 million and be directed by a woman. Um, Heckerling was just coming off of Clueless at this time. Uh, she had also made, like, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like, she she was very hot hand right now. So, like, Lauren was like, I really want her to direct this movie. Uh, so, Chris Kattan, in his book, and I'm going to read a short part of the book here, is, uh, one day after an afternoon of casting, Amy offered to drive Will and me home. The three of us had a great time in her BMW listening to some new songs I thought would be perfect for Roxbury. On the way to my apartment, after Will had been dropped off, Amy turned to me at a stoplight and in the shyest tone asked something very blunt. Are we going to have sex? I was shocked. Was she joking? Did she mean today? Right there in the car? Sometime in the future? I had no idea how to respond. We weren't formal with each other or anything, but she was still basically my boss. Uh, And everything had been professional up until that point. Okay, so he has this very awkward interaction with this woman that he knows could be his boss in the future. The next page of the book, he gets a call from Lorne, and Lorne says, Amy doesn't want to direct the film. When I asked why, he began to yell, shouting at me that Paramount would only do the movie if Amy signed on as a director. And if I wanted to make sure the movie happened, then I had to keep Amy happy. Why me, I thought. How is this my responsibility? Quote, Chris, I'm not saying you have to fuck her, but it wouldn't hurt, <gasps> Lorne said. Lorne! And then, you know, Chris goes on to write, what the fuck was that supposed to mean? I mean, what was this, my casting couch moment? I had no idea what Amy actually said to Lauren, how much was being assumed. Was I really supposed to be a reason for Amy to direct the movie? That seemed insane. And why wasn't Will on this call? He was my partner. He should be hearing this. And Lauren says, we don't need to bring Will into this. So basically, (gasps) we have an extremely fucked situation, right? Where Catan, Catan's 27. At this point. Oh my god, he's so um, young! So, you know, he's an adult, but he's a young guy. He's working with Lorne Michaels, who is one of the most powerful producers in comedy, yeah. who is literally his boss, telling him, look, you gotta fuck this woman who says she wants to fuck you so we can do the movie. And so you have two extremely powerful people 
pressuring Chris Kattan. Amy Heckerling's married, and Kattan is in a relationship at this point with Jennifer Coolidge. What? Yeah. That is cute. So it is adorable. Um, but um, it's just uh, it's very very fucked. And what ends up happening, like, is it's awkward. Heckerling doesn't direct the film. Right. She gets a producer credit. She doesn't direct it. Um, Lauren denies this version of events. By the way, of course she um, does. And uh, and then basically. Chris did say he had some sort of intimate encounter with Heckerling after, like, the director thing got settled. Um, but basically, things were so awkward and uncomfortable, it ended up, like, driving a wedge into his relationship with Coolidge. They broke up. And the very weird, abrupt nature of that breakup, where everybody's like, is this because Chris was, like, getting hit on by Amy Heckerling? Like, what's going on? It made everyone else think Chris was a shithead, including... His partner, Will Ferrell. No! So all these other SNL people and his, you know, his friend Will from the Groundlings ice him out. <gasps> and now he's he doesn't get work anymore in Hollywood for years. That is so devastating. It's terrible. Wow. I, the, when, when you were reading the story, nobody could see me because this is a podcast. But my, right, my, audio medium. My, yeah. my mouth was the gape. Yeah. Which is horrifying and so sad. And it was, and I'm sorry, I don't want to like be real flip about, but all that to make this move. Yeah, no, that is, <laughs> you're 100% <laughs> correct. This isn't yeah. Citizen Kane or no. <laughs> something else that's supposed to be good. This isn't, and it, and you it, know, legally blonde. Right, and it, right, and it wouldn't like, a producer pressuring an actor to sleep with someone or get, like, a director credit, like, that's not okay to make any, like, work of art. But, like, but like you watch some movies and you're like, well, this is, like, a really visionary <laughs> good movie. And, and the example, like, like I don't listen to Louis C.K.'s stuff anymore. Yeah. Like, because it's not fun no, anymore. No, it's like, gross now. It's gross now. But before we knew what a piece of shit he was... I thought his comedy was brilliant. Like, it was okay. I, I, okay, well, I was a guy. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no, that's fair. It, like, I thought it was brilliantly written and brilliantly delivered and, like, wow, there's there's so much thought that goes into this and so much art that goes into this and it's really smart and I love it. Right. And it, Right, okay, well, <laughs> comedy's subjective. Different people can find different yes, things yes, funny. Yes, yes, of course, But, like, and, like, I still can't listen to it now. Yeah. But, like, also really bad stuff happened... But to make this. Yeah. <laughs> this movie where Richard Grieco plays himself <laughs> and is like, hey, I just don't want to get sued. And that's like his only punchline. Yeah. I mean, the soundtrack is great. Best soundtrack of any SNL film and uh, best wardrobe department. Oh my gosh, the suits. The, oh, the suits. Just gorgeous. Um, just really great costuming. But it, I mean, but like I said. At the time, this was really, really good. Looking at it from now, when we've had actual really great comedies to watch just on the pod itself, yeah. but like in general, has the, there's just some really great comedies out there that have set the bar really, really high for a lot of reasons. Obviously, you know, Popstar was a great example. Popstar's great. McGruber's great. Yeah, like. because they there was an emotional undercurrent with those characters. Yeah. In this case, that doesn't really exist. 
In fact, the one opportunity there is for an emotional undercurrent, which is the wedding, is just smashed completely. Right. By, by Chris Kattan being like, no, 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 we're going to be stupid. It's going to be very silly. But again, like, I personally don't understand how it was as big as it was. I don't yeah. get it. But Especially without Heckerling directing, you know. I you mean, just got yeah, the name recognition. Yeah, right? <laughs> but I, mm, I'd put... I, uh, it's kind of the same reason why I didn't really understand there's, why this, there's something about Mary was really big either. Uh, it's like the, well, yeah. the same kind of baffled. Uh, well, I, I think, I'm just baffled. I think, there's, I think there's something about Mary. I think why it caught so many people's attention is like it was one of the first movies that went that blue for a mainstream comedy. That's true. Like. Like, there weren't a ton of cum jokes yet. And obviously, like, <laughs> they walked so we could run. Yes, obviously. But, <laughs> right, right, right. But, but what did Roxbury uh, do? It didn't do anything. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, is it because the soundtrack was just amazing and everyone's like, yeah, What Is Love is a fucking great song. It fucking bangs. All It's like every great 90s club banger is on this soundtrack. It's and amazing. It's great. I, I listened to the soundtrack driving around the other day. I was like, this is really yeah. good. But to me, I do not understand what it adds to the comedy canon for it to be right. as iconic as it is. I agree, hundred percent. Um, so, and, and again, the the. But now with the, the backstory, sketch, it's very sad. The, the backstory it makes it so much worse. The sketch itself, right? The sketch, which I think was just called Roxbury Boys. Oh, um, nice. Okay. Uh, but but like the sketch, I don't know if all of them were like this, but there were definitely many of them that had no dialogue whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan, and sometimes a guest, like Jim Carrey did it once, mm-hmm. um, just driving around L.A., bobbing their heads to what is love. And then they go to the club and they bob their heads to what is love. And maybe they try to dance with a girl and they both like bounce into her right. a couple times. And then she's like, you guys are weird. Go away. And that's it. That's the sketch. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Again. Why? And Lauren was like, we gotta get Amy Heckerling on this, and if that means Chris Kattan has to fuck her, then so be it. This whole thing has been cursed from the start. <laughs> this is just cursed from the start. Extremely cursed. Uh, so anyways, uh, you want to talk about the movie? Yeah, why not? I I don't want to come off as complaining, because that's not what it is, because it is an enjoyable movie. It's very fun. I had a I lot just of had fun. fun watching the two of them. It was fun watching it. It was fun to see Will Ferrell not play somebody overly confident. It is very unusual, right? Yeah, that was really fun and interesting to watch. It was also cool to see Chris Kattan be a leading man, I gotta say. Incre- I mean, I think he does a great job. He I think he's got job. the physical part. He just goes way over the top with his emotions, and that's really funny to me. Yeah. Will F- Will Ferrell, I was getting a big, like, Homer Simpson vibe. He was just a very good-natured, dumb guy. Yeah, I lo- he's a, the original himbo, kind of. Yes, that's exactly what he is. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, one of the first we've ever seen, but we didn't have a name for it back then. But, uh, <laughs> like I said, it's, it's great. There's so many great factors to it, but it does feel like there's something missing. And I think because we had Popstar last week, it's like, oh, that emotional... Yeah. thing is not really there could that have saved it to make it like as you know 
as enduring. Yeah, as... I don't know. I don't know. I'm not like going to rewrite the movie for like a reboot or something. Like that's not what I'm yeah. saying. But I personally don't understand why it it has endured as like, oh my god, this is one of the most iconic movies ever cuz watching it, it's just, you know, pretty straightforward. Yeah. It's it's I wouldn't say there's a lot of twists. No. Uh, there's not a lot of, not a lot of turns. So, let, okay, let's talk about okay. it. Openings, Paramount, Paramount logo, What Is Love starts playing right away. We're not fucking wasting time. No. <laughs> it's time. Okay, so 1990s, that was like huge for clubs. Yes. Uh, more. That was before board games really took off. Right. <laughs> that was before. It, no, okay, so the 90s, when it comes to clubbing, my sisters were clubbing around this time and they mm. told me stories. It's apparently was an incredible time. The the people the clothes were incredible. There were like uh, clubs with themes, so you know you want to get into the club, but you usually mm. have to like wait outside or you know like they do in the movie, you're on a list and it's like very cool and it it was a who's who of who's at what at what place. You know what I mean? So th- this was like a really cool time capsule for the time period because this doesn't really exist anymore. Like, it's not like people no. are like, I'm going to go to the club. No, because they'll catch COVID. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you go to a club to see, like, a drag show. But that's a gay club. Right. But I don't. Right. I, I personally haven't heard from the straights about their clubs. There is, like, there are a few moments in this film where, um, and, and, you know, opening scene of this film is basically a sketch. It's the two of them, Doug and Steve Butabi. They're wearing their t-shirt under their uh <laughs> their metallic colored suit they got the chain they're bobbing their heads to what is love um there were a few moments in this movie where i'm like it feels like this is based on a specific guy they don't like yeah. <laughs> also i love the the design of everything because it was like very y2k everything was metallic or mesh it, yeah, the 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 entire the wardrobe and the set design of this movie are hilarious. I love it. At the time, state of the art. Yes, <laughs> love it. So, uh, so they go from club to club, uh, and they uh, they tackle this little lady called Knight, uh, and we uh, we learn uh, some of their techniques, which are uh, asking the woman at the balcony, "You want to dance with me? Him? Me?" Me, him, him, me, me, him, and then, uh, then the lady just gives up. Um, they tell a really riveting story about a time <laughs> they were at a bar and they saw Emilio Estevez from a distance and uh, yelled at him, and he didn't hear them. Emilio. <laughs> uh, they have a really, honestly, really good dance routine. They practice in their car, <laughs> <laughs> and they break the window because they do yeah. it a little too hard. They're too good. I broke the I broke the window again. Um, they get pulled pissed. over by Jennifer Coolidge as the hottie cop, um, and it's one of my favorite Jennifer Coolidge roles because it's where we learn that she has a normal voice. Yeah, I almost didn't recognize her until I hovered over my screen and it said it was Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> uh, and then they they get to the Roxbury. Oh, but they can't get in. They can't get in to the one place that's in the title. <laughs> and the bouncer of all people is Michael Clark Duncan. <laughs> you want to know what I like about this movie besides all of the cast? The Incredible cast. Incredible cast. The uh, women that they cast as the people that they hit on are all age appropriate. Yes. You know what? Good for them. Good for them. 
<laughs> Everyone was at least in their 30s. Um, no no age gap discourse in the, in this episode until uh, towards the end we're going to have some age gap discourse. Yeah, yeah we'll later. talk about that. But uh, <laughs> here's the thing. They can't get into the Roxbury. They try to pay off Michael Clark Duncan with $8 and like 15 cents. <laughs> and he he's just not having it. And they... They, we find out that they really, really want to open their own club. But mm-hmm. Will Ferrell, who is our loving and adorable himbo, is like, how are we supposed to make the greatest club there ever was if we can't even get into all of them? What does that say about us? And Chris Kattan is like, no. He's all about like manifestation yes. and being positive. <laughs> Very aggressive dreamer. Very aggressive dreamer. And he's like, no, we're going to get into the Roxbury. We're going to get in everywhere. And and we have such great ideas that people are going to want us to go to their clubs. So this uh, establishes other, the, like, Disney princess wants. This was the I want song. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also, great. Also love that Chris Kattan, when he's waiting in line at the clubs, has a family-sized box of goldfish crackers. <laughs> because he's in line for so long. <laughs> um, so they strike out at the Roxbury. They go back home. Um, so we cut to uh, their home, and their their dad's rich from the fake plant store. So they have a very fancy house. They sleep <laughs> in the same room in leopard print silk boxers and leopard print silk sheets. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they come downstairs. Their mom, played by Lonnie Anderson, is there. I do think it's weird that they're like, where's mom? Who's this young hottie wearing her bathrobe? Yeah, and they kind of like crowd around her to like yeah. look at her because she's so hot. And she's like, I got a new chin. It's it's very weird. <laughs> that, that one's weird. They don't spend a ton of time on it, but it is weird. Yeah, we do skirt over it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's see, uh, we see them out on the street, uh, in their, God, their shirts, uh, their polo shirts. I love this time period. Why don't men dress like this anymore? Their shirts are button-ups, but they're all see-through mesh. And they they both look so good. Like, they both can get it for real. On the Twitter account, just post that photo and just be like, "Men, what's stopping you from dressing like I'll this?" I'll do it. I'll do it. And they and they both have the Walkman on. They each have a Walkman <laughs> on, playing "Stay in Alive." And they both have giant frappuccinos. And then they so, corner a poor woman who's trying to walk down the street. They have no game whatsoever. They just come off as the creepiest guys ever, and she ends up beating them up with her bag. And, yeah, because uh, like she. She's a hot lady. She walks past them, and, like, they turn to check her out, which is, like, you're not supposed to be that obvious, and that's kind of gross. But then they just run after her. Hey, and you like, new in Sup? town? Sup? You new in town? Yeah. <laughs> just horrifying shit. And then she beats them up, and they're like, oh, okay. So they go into yeah. their fake plant store, and we kind of get a <laughs> glimpse of the the day job. You know, we, we know what they want to do as their night job, but their day job is not as glamorous. They work for their dad selling fake plants. Their dad is just so disappointed in them. So sad. Uh, so they sell fake plants. Um, Chris Kattan's thing is uh, every time uh, he gets a visa as payment, he calls the visa um, uh, customer, the you know cardholder service, and asks for operator two three eight because she's hot. <laughs> because she's hot. She's played by Meredith Scotland, so he tries to flirt with her every time. 
while he's like holding this dude's credit card and he's like sir i have to i'm sorry i have to call them it's not going through <laughs> also back in the day this was before you could put like the chip in it was like yes. you had to like scan it on a piece of paper basically yes <laughs> and he's like it's not working and clearly it was clearly working uh, but yeah, so she, but the weird thing is, is that she thinks he's a little creepy, but she's also kind of into it, <laughs> which I'm like, okay, girl. Yeah. It's- yeah. She's, she's, I mean, look, here's what I would say. If it was my fucking job to work as a customer service person at Visa, yeah. I would fucking flirt with everyone. <laughs> like I would be so bored. As somebody who has worked in customer service over the phone, it is fun when someone flirts with you. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I understand. But, you know, uh, this, again, is very 90s because, like, they can't see each other. There's nobody saying, like, this is my Instagram handle. Come find me. You know, it's like whenever he calls, which is a lot, that's when they (laughs) flirt. (laughs) It's very funny. And then uh, the other major plot point in this scene is we are introduced to uh, Molly Shannon's character, Emily. She's a lamp heiress. (laughs) Yeah. So the the fake plant store is next door to a lamp store. The dads who run the stores are friends. And Molly Shannon is the daughter of the lamp store owner, and she is finally home from college, and she is ready to fuck she Will Ferrell. She is so DTF, dude. <laughs> and it's like a blondish Molly Shannon. Don't think about Mary Catherine Gallagher. She's going a completely different direction. She's, different direction. She's and she's horny. great in this, by the way. Love she's her She's so great. She's blonde. She's horny. She's uh, yeah. aspirational. She just she wants <laughs> to get shit Strong done. mind for business. <laughs> she's, she wants to get shit done. Yeah. Um, but the boys so, don't because they got to open their club. And the dream from their dad that he's imposing on them is that they, first of all, Will Ferrell has to marry her so that they can yes. knock down the wall between the stores and make one giant plant the lamp bill. store. The world's first joint plant slash lamp store. And they will get married, have a bunch of kids, and then they don't have to pay for employees because the kids will be the employees. And Chris Kattan would just be part of that whole thing. They would just run the store. <laughs> and he that's just like he's committed to that's to that being what his kids do. And obviously Chris Kattan takes this very, very badly because he has dreams of his own. Well, and I think it's interesting that he steps in to defend his brother so much. Yeah. Um, from Molly Chan. He's like, no, you see this guy right here, Molly? And Will Ferrell's just like, what's up? Uh, and... <laughs> It's like, he and I have dreams. We're going to open the best club in L.A. Um, So he is, like, trying to keep Will Ferrell on track for the dreams, but he's also kind of sticking up for him, and I like that. I like that, too. He's, um, knowing the other roles that Chris Kattan has done after this, Corky Romano being my favorite, he always plays someone super stupid and ridiculous, but in this one, he's got drive, he's got motivation. It's very cool to see. Yeah, he's still super stupid and ridiculous, yes. but but he has those other things. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so, you know, they they leave Molly Shannon there, who's holding giant uh, light bulbs against her breasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting that she is able, she has a decent amount of screen time, probably like 30 minutes of screen time in this movie, and has to continuously put out throughout all of it. <laughs> Vital sexual energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, uh, Steve and Doug, Will and Chris are like, uh, well, you want to crunch it? That's uh, what I'm going to so... say from now on whenever I need to work out. 
<laughs> because that's what they call going to the gym. Going to the gym. Well, and it is Crunch Jam at 8,000 Sunset, uh, according to my Amazon uh, streaming service. Hell yeah. Um, they, you know, they're, I do like that the trainer talks to them about their triceps getting a little flabby and they put a really dramatic music cue in. Yeah, they're that. like, you know, we had a really long discussion about it last night and uh, we think you're right. I thought it was going to go in a totally different direction. They were going to, like, fire him. No, no, no. They just need to do some more tries. Yeah. Uh, So they work out. You know, we kind of established that character. There's one groaner joke. They're like, we were friends for all seven years of high school, man. Mm. Like, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, But then we have, I think, a much better visual joke, which is we cut to, you know, after the gym, they go to the beach. It's it's the Santa Monica Pier. Yes. all these just establishing shots of all these super hot babes in their swimsuits, which is not, by the way, what the Santa Monica Pier is like. No, uh, not at all. That's where fake Mickey and fake Minnie are. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you can't afford to go to Disneyland uh, that day, you see them instead. Anyways, uh, but all these hot babes and then just the two of them in Speedos. And look, we all know how, look, how Will Ferrell looks with his shirt off. He and looks he still pretty jacked, though. <laughs> he looks better than he will in the future. Um, <laughs> Let's not fat shame Will Ferrell, okay? Okay. Okay. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, the punchline of a lot of his comedy is, this is my gross body, yes. which is fine. Yes. That's very but funny. But I think he looks great in this one. And Chris Kattan also looks jacked as fuck. And they're wearing very <laughs> uh, revealing Gucci Speedo situations. Yeah. And th- I think the, the Will Ferrell straightening his hair with a middle part is... Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, this is where they give themselves, like, the pep talk. We will get into the Roxbury. Uh, and then ju- they just start chanting the word Roxbury over and over again <laughs> on the beach. Um, so they go home so they can get dressed for the club. And we get the shot of them going back home. And the dad, their parents are in the living room with the Lamp Store family. And you hear the dad <laughs> finishing the conversation. And he said, and then he started smelling them. He thought they were real plants. Oh, my. No, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> love a good fake plant joke. We love that. Uh, uh, but they walk in in their Speedos. And yeah. <laughs> uh, the dad's like, you know, you guys got to get dressed. We're going to dinner. And they're like, actually, we have plans tonight. And as they race upstairs, Molly Shannon stops Will Ferrell. And is like, hey, um, you look really good in your speedo. You know, it's very European of you to not wear like normal swim trunks. And and Will Ferrell is such a himbo that he he takes it very well. And he's like, thank you for the compliment. It's very oh, sweet. Yeah. All right, yeah. He's a very sweet little man. Yeah, and then Chris Kattan has to grab him and be like, come on, we gotta get ready. Um, so we have uh, we have a montage. Yeah. Uh, set to if you love my body and you think I'm sexy come on baby let me know uh, they're trimming their nose hairs they're spray painting their sideburns is that what the trimming their nose hair thing is that what they keep referencing yes okay yes that's when they're brushing their nose that's what it is. I thought I used to think it was the cocaine yeah and there's some of that too but I think I I don't think they can say cocaine in this movie got it got it got it so they're like <laughs> let's justify that with the nose trimmers got it right yeah, so they practice uh, some dance moves in the mirror, too. Yeah. They practice it. Sup? Sup? New in town? Like, just over and over in the mirror. What we're, what I'm noticing is that this is all, uh, like, openers. There's no closing. They don't have any follow-through. They have no follow-through. <laughs> Which will come to a head shortly. Yes, right. Come to um, a head. They, pff, 
They come downstairs. Molly Shannon is singing the Cheers theme at the piano, which is hilarious. I'm sorry. Just very formally, like, standing while her dad plays piano. She's got her hands clasped like she's in a madrigal group. And she's just like, making your way in the world world today. today. So good. What an incredible uh, world they have built in just a short amount of time. Uh, but they drive to the Roxbury, and uh, and I do. I love one area of the pep talk where Chris Kattan is like, "I got to tell you something, Steve. Tonight, I can taste it." And Will Ferrell just blurts out, "I can't taste it, Duck." He's just so distraught. They face so much rejection over the last however long they've been clubbing, which they don't say, and uh, he 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 just doesn't have faith that they're gonna get into the Roxbury. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking, but they go to Michael Clark Duncan, he kicks him out, they try to, they try to bribe him, like you said, he kicks him out, and then they get back in the car, uh, they try, they're, they're stopping and starting on the street, because they're trying to find an ATM, and because they keep breaking so much, they get rear-ended by 21 Jump Street's own Richard Grieco. Hey! Uh, that's a reference I feel, yeah, most 12-year-olds probably didn't get. Uh, when the movie came out, that one's for the parents. Uh, ah, yes. I oh, I, thinking about seeing this with my parents makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> so uh, basically, Richard Grieco doesn't want them to call the cops because like he souped up his car or something. Uh, so they're like, "Well, can you get us into the Roxbury?" And he's like, oh, "Okay, yeah, fine." Um, so they take them to the Roxbury. They get in. And they're all of a sudden in the greatest club in the world. It's amazing. But they're just in the coat room. So they got to move into the club, which is even better than they imagined. more amazing. Wow. Will Ferrell starts saying sup, like, over and over again because it's hottie overload. (laughs) He has to slow down, so he just goes sup, two, three, four. (laughs) Sup, two, which, what a great gag. Love that. Uh, And then we get introduced to... Colin Quinn. Yeah. Not somebody so, I expect to see. The So the club owner is played by uh, Chaz Palminteri of uh, A Bronx Tale, uncredited. Right. And he calls them over. His bodyguard is Colin Quinn. Um, so he invites them immediately to the VIP table because they're with Richard Grieco. Right. Um, Chaz, Chaz Palminteri, I feel like kind of did everything in one take probably for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Huh. They were they were like, he's so good, we're only going to do it once. Yeah, and they were like, eh, maybe we should have done it twice. Um, but, you know, I would say his main gag is asking people, hey, did you grab my ass? Yeah, uh, even though they're, like, standing far away, I don't understand. Is yeah, he supposed that, to be gay? Yeah, that, that joke doesn't super land for me. Colin Quinn kind of rolls his eyes at him throughout. Uh, and then eventually Chaz Palminteri, like, is like, oh, I have to leave. I have to say hi to Jim Carrey. Jim, come here, you pet detective bastard. Um. Which was so he, referencing Jim Carrey in the sketch, maybe? May, I don't know. We don't okay. know. I'm this, gonna, this, this is where scene, things get kind of fast and loose. This scene doesn't super work, but while they're talking with the club, you know, they're talking with the club owner, they, like, tell him their idea for a club. It's a brilliant idea for a club. Yes, because inside is outside. Meaning inside of the club, it's decorated like you're outside. But when you're waiting outside, it's decorated like you're inside. 
Brilliant. So he's blown away by that. He's like, we got to get a meeting for tomorrow. So they got a meeting now with this big rich guy. It's huge. To talk about their club, their dreams coming true. And as they're talking to him, two hotties Mm -hmm. notice them from a distance. Yes, one of the girls from Clueless. Yes, and then a girl from, I had to look up her most famous credit, and it appears to be the John Larroquette Show. So, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> so uh, it, 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 that's also like one of them on her IMDb known for. So basically, the girl from Clueless and another actor. Yes, um, and they're watching. They're like, who are these two guys? Hmm, because we are gold diggers. Right. And if they're talking to the owner, they must have some money. So I say, let's go after them. Yes. And they adjust their breasts and move on. Yes. But we do get, I think, my favorite scene in the movie, which is the dance number to This Is Your Night by Amber. Oh, I love Amber! (laughs) Um, Great track. Uh, And the dance number is funny because the two two, uh, actresses actually do have, like, choreography in this scene and then will ferrell and chris Catan are just doing the roxbury boy shit yeah it's really great it's a long it's a long dance scene and there's a lot yes. of ass grabbing which is uh the club owner loves yeah there's some good ass grabbing going on there yeah but it's really great and they eventually take the party to the club owner's house because he's having an actual party yeah huge party um, they're riding in the limo, uh, Colin Quinn is driving them, and, uh, they're like, uh, tell your mom I had a good time last night. Yeah, and your dad! Because they don't even know how to tell jokes. Um. Uh, but then they, they talk about how they love whippets. <laughs> I love, just like, you know the best thing is when whipped cream, you just take the little gas when it comes out. They're like, so that's whippets. And he's like, no, yeah, no. <laughs> Very weird. Uh, then Colin Quinn has to stop at a 7-Eleven because they want to do some whippets. So they grab, he grabs a bunch of uh, whipped cream cans. But Chris Kattan sees what's happening. He's about to play with a card and he runs in. He's like, I got to talk to my credit vixen. Yeah. So he talks to the credit vixen, which is cute. Um, and then they get to the party where there were... They're in the background, but there are titties. There are at the titties party. in the party, man. And it's a and this is a PG thirteen film, so I'm impressed they snuck that past. I think somebody who was watching it was like, "This is so stupid." They started doing something else while they were watching. They had computer solitaire, <laughs> <laughs> spider solitaire, because it was like ninety eight, and they're yeah. like, they didn't see the titties because y- y- yeah. if you blink, you'll miss them. Yeah, I mean, you can miss them. You can miss them, but fo- now but that folks, you know, folks, I didn't. <laughs> Pause that. <laughs> me, <laughs> just, Knowing us, me and Tony we just specifically. Have the, the, the fucking Terminator eye that's like, beep, boop, 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 titties, titties, titties. titties. <laughs> but yeah, so they end up at the party and uh, they, uh, something happens that is very significant in the life of a young man. So, so each of the gold diggers basically takes them up to a bedroom and basically tries to fuck them yes right because they're going after what they think is their money um so first of all neither will ferrell nor chris Catan have ever fucked this is this is the point where i'm like they are making fun of two guys that they actually know yeah 
Yeah, I definitely think so. And uh, <laughs> But all they're doing, their game, like I said before, it's all openers. It's all pickup lines. But they've already picked the girls up, so they don't really know what to do. So, they, so yeah. what they do is tell the Emilio story. Yeah. And then my actually my favorite line in the movie is Will Ferrell talking to him and saying, you know what I heard when I first met you? What? <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Boo! Just making just huge, loud siren sounds. <laughs> Unbelievable. But then 42 seconds later, we find out those guys, they sealed the deal. Yeah, and 42 seconds. This is before SSRIs were, like, really widely prescribed. <laughs> this was pure raw talent. <laughs> Uh, so they fuck. They fuck. And they, 42 seconds later, they both run out of the bedroom. It's like, Doug, Steve, holy shit. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Can't believe it. Um, yeah. And then they head home. Yeah. And, and the next day, it's like the greatest day ever because, first of all, they had sex. But secondly, they, fucked. they uh, have a meeting. They have a meeting with the club, with the Zadir, the club owner, the Jazz Palminteri character. They're so stoked. Oh. Uh, they they buy all sorts of business stuff. Post-its. <laughs> Post-its. I just love Will Ferrell's delivery of the line. I got personalized mugs with her names on them. Yours says, Doug. <laughs> what a, an adorable himbo. Like I said, I really couldn't get over seeing him not be overly confident. It, yeah. It's really, really nice. When he's just a dumb guy who like wants to be nice to everyone, like a little puppy dog, it's very, it's, it's very, cute. it's very cute for being such a tall giant man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they they need to head over to Sadir's office uh, to pitch them, to pitch him all their great ideas. They have so many good ideas for clubs because they know what they, what club they want to go to. I, yes. I just really admire their confidence. So they go. So they go to the meeting. Uh, Molly Shannon tries to be horny again as they get in the car. Um, they get in the plant van and drive uh, off. Um, they go to Zadir's office. The elevator music is "What Is Love," <laughs> and they bob their head in halftime to the music. <laughs> Just tiny little moments of good comedy. Uh, and yeah. but Colin Quinn stops them from seeing yes. Zadir because he just doesn't like them because he had to ke- keep getting everybody whippets all night. Yes. And he was feeling resentful. Yes. So they get turned away <laughs> not, from Zadir. Not even turned away. They get dragged away on the floor because they're so dedicated to the meeting. They like d- release their body onto the ground because they're not able to see him and uh, Zadir is like what's going on out there did you find the the, Butab- the two guys from last the night the Butabi brothers and he's like no I haven't been able to find them Colin Quinn you bastard Colin Quinn the villain oh my god like barely a villain yeah I mean he he's on screen maybe 10 minutes if that this is I think uh, the second to last scene he's in <laughs> yeah and in, in the <laughs> la- end of the movie he's only even mentioned you don't see him but he is so- the villain uh, but then they, they call their girlfriends, which were the right. girls from last night. Yeah. And uh, they uh, are in the process of trying to nab some Japanese businessmen. The best part is the Japanese businessmen are Japanese Roxbury boys, clearly, <laughs> yes. from the subtitles. <laughs> They're so like, funny. this is sweet ass sweet. <laughs> And uh, so the girls call the boys and they're like, yep, we're at the Sky Bar. Come hang out with us. And they do. But things go awry. Yeah, when they see the plant store van, 
they're like, oh, Jesus, you guys, you guys aren't rich. And so, you know, there's a lesson here where they say poor schmucks look just the same as rich schmucks. Yes. Ladies, pay attention. <laughs> and, you know, their, their lives have basically, they hit their peak. Last night was the best night of their lives. And it all fell apart. Yeah. And now it's act three. So, Can you believe? It's such a fast movie. It's so Very I love fast it. movie. I'm into that. Whizzes by. Um, Doug blames his brother. Doug says, this is your fault. You got us into this mess. If if you weren't so dumb, we'd still have the girls. We'd still uh, have the meeting with Zadir. And so from now on, consider me your ex-brother. Very upsetting. Just Very incredibly upsetting. upsetting. The, the, this is where um, Chris Kattan shows his dramatic side. Yeah, so we have a montage because it's 1998 set to Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. <laughs> it's really uh, sad. Uh, we we see uh, Doug's life basically fall apart. He moves out of their bedroom with their silk sheets and he moves into the guest house, which is right across house. from the pool. Ac- across the pool, yeah. And uh, he is just lonely as hell. You know, they spend every minute together and here he is yeah. alone in the guest house. Uh, Will Farrell is working at the plant store, and somebody asks, "How long will these flowers last?" And Will Farrell's like, "They're silk. They'll last forever. They'll always be with you. They'll never say you're their ex brother. They'll never say you're not good looking." <laughs> now, I have a question: Do you think by by this point, when they're shooting, Will is icing out Chris Kattan? Yeah. So yeah. So that's the question, right? Is like, when did when did things start to just go pear-shaped um with this i don't know why i said it like paddington bear i don't either but, the, but it was really wholesome of you but uh but the the it's like because obviously like the whole you need to fuck her or chris i'm not saying you have to fuck her but it wouldn't hurt that happened before they started shooting the movie right because oh. heckerling they were still figuring out who the director was. right right so um, by this point by this point i don't know if the real question is, has Chris Kattan broken up with Jennifer Coolidge by this point? Oh, okay. That, was that like the inciting incident for everything? That was the inciting incident in the rupture. But that's why Step Brothers is not Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. It's Will Ferrell and John oh, C. Oh, that's it's the it. saddest you can, thing you've ever said. You can track the dominoes falling. Oh, my right? God. It's like Gerard Way witnessing 9-11 led to yeah. MCR, led to Twilight, led to Fifty Shades, <laughs> led to what's her name? <laughs> ending ellen's career like yes in, dakota yeah. yeah in the at this junction it's chris Kattan breaking up right. with jennifer coolidge, breaking up with jennifer coolidge. <laughs> this is so uh, fucked oh god honestly dakota johnson hero yeah for no, ending ellen's we, career we stand we stand <laughs> but um i'm I, i'm just curious i mean i guess we'll never know to quote Shaq. we'll never know we'll never know uh I mean, I guess if I read his book start to finish, I might figure it out. Oh, did you only I, read that I'm, one chapter? I only read that one part. Okay. Did you buy it or did you rent it? I, I uh, found screenshots of it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's fair. Uh, uh, so, I, I was just curious because at this point I'm asking, is there a tremendous amount of acting on Will Ferrell's part? <laughs> or does he genuinely like him and it's not that hard to be sad? But if he yeah. hates him and he has to pretend to be sad, I mean, that's a lot of effort. Yeah. Uh, Genuine questions that, I mean, from an actor. 
Yeah, I mean, good, good, good for you, Will Ferrell. Way to, <laughs> way to turn in that performance. Um, but the other thing that happens to Will Ferrell, of course, is he's alone. He's adrift. He doesn't have his brother to uh, defend him anymore. So Molly Shannon sees her opportunity. Oh God! You know, I love Molly Shannon, and seeing her play someone so unlikable is great. But it's also very hard. Yes. Because she she is awful. She's mean to him. She's a manipulative. She's using her sexual prowess to manipulate him as well. Yeah, she has her titties out in several of these scenes. Yeah, yeah, her titties are out. And uh, <laughs> she uses sex against him and ultimately is creating a business plan for the plant slash lamp store. Yes. Um, so she gets horny from business. That's like what makes her horny. <laughs> Um, and she starts to change him, right? Yeah. She's like, and, you know, I, I don't love the stereotype of, like, look at this bitch wife who's going to change him, right? right. But, like, um, she's, like, throwing out his suits for clubbing <sighs> and, like, you know, making him get his hair cut and, you know, stuff like that. Um, and uh, they have a little dinner party to celebrate their engagement with the parents. There's <laughs> uh, <laughs> the... There's a part where Steve takes his dad into the other room, and, and he's like, I'm really nervous about this this wedding tomorrow, Dad. His dad's like, all guys are nervous before their wedding. That's very, that's very normal. And he's like, oh, so, like, all guys are, like, kind of nervous and anxious and hoping she eats a can of botulism. <laughs> all guys really want to take her little toothbrush and shove it into her brain so she dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's normal. Uh, so, you know, so Will Ferrell, we're supposed to think, like, he's got his balls cut off by this woman. They're having the, you know, they're having the wedding tomorrow. He goes over to the guest house where Chris Kattan Kattan is suffering. (laughs) He has, uh, he has Cinemax, but there's no HBO in the guest house. He's eating, uh, he's eating from an empty pizza box. There's, like, no food in it, which is very funny. Uh, but he's he's having a really hard time, and uh, yeah. Will Ferrell calls him from the landline, yes. and uh, he pretends to be the answering machine because he doesn't want to talk to him. Yeah. And, uh, and Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell leaves him falls a message. For it. <laughs> he leaves him a message, and it's like, "Hey, I'm getting married tomorrow. Do you want to be my best man?" What is the timeline? I guess because we're in the third act, it has to happen really fast. Yeah, but th- I would say it's like two weeks, yeah. maybe. How yeah? How long were they apart? I mean, could be a year, but I would say, given how driven we know Molly Shannon's character is, um, I think she would have pushed for a very short engagement. Yeah, like fast marriage. Yeah, yeah. I would say a couple of weeks to a month. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so he asks him to be his best man, but he doesn't respond. Doesn't respond. Oh, so sad. So we get a different best man. We get their trainer friend that they went to high school yeah. with for seven years. Yeah. So, uh, we get, so, climactic scene, which is the wedding. Um, Night at the Roxbury Superstar and Ladies Man all feature Mark McKinney as a Christian man. (laughs) We love him. Love Mark McKinney. He's the officiant at the wedding, uh, in this movie. I believe the only person who is in Kids in the Hall and SNL. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, he, I think a comedy legend that is completely underrated in every way, but is always the scene stealer in every way. He he steals a scene here. Like he's yeah. got some very funny lines here. You cannot get your kid confirmed in this city for less than one fifty. <laughs> I love that shit. Um, I love but, him. 
Uh, but and then obviously, you know, I, I I like to think more people appreciate him now because of Superstore. Except I know nobody watched Superstore. I know it's so sad. He's so good as Glenn, and I forget sometimes when he speaks normally and not as Glenn that that's what he sounds yeah, like. When he's Glenn, he's doing a voice. It's like Jennifer Coolidge. It's he has a normal speaking. Incredible. Voice. He I I really do think that he needs to be appreciated more. And I could start a part a podcast just about him. I would be okay yes. with that. We could do like a like a bonus feature of just all of his movies. <laughs> just all Mark McKinney movies. Um, Which are like also, only him doing guest stars. <laughs> yeah, surprise appearance here, uh, Eva Mendez. <laughs> Mind blowing <laughs> to see her future wife of Ryan with Ryan Gosling. Yeah, um, she future, is the bride's future star of previous podcast selection. Hitch. Uh, uh, that's just on all the time. <laughs> so yeah, she's a bridesmaid, and uh, and so you know we have. Uh, this wedding start and right away not off to a great start because steve is checking out eva mendez's cleavage so, for you from out of town and, and hitting on her <laughs> you can't hit on the bridesmaid <laughs> so good not during the ceremony no at least wait till the ceremony's over is what the dad says is what his dad says yeah so good um, but we get to uh the vows <laughs> and molly shannon has written a poem yes uh I didn't write down what she said. Did you write down what she said? <laughs> no, because I don't care. Okay. She wrote a poem, but then I I did note Steve's uh, vows, which were like, <laughs> we worked next to each other, and then you let me have sex with you. And there are people in the crowd that are laughing, and then you hear a few, aw. It's so um, funny. I also like Mark McKinney going, Stephen, repeat after me. And then Steve goes, after me. And Mark McKinney's like, ha that's great. <laughs> it's really stupid. The stupid level is very high at this point because yes. uh, Will Ferrell has nobody to keep him grounded, except he does. Except he does. There's one person that's always kept him grounded, it's, and that's his brother. That's brother Doug. And he pulls a say anything and holds a stereo yes. up above his head and plays their song, What is Love? <laughs> What is love? And I sent you a gif of it this morning, but you can just see Will Ferrell's head turn and his eyes light up and him start to bob his head. <laughs> He's so stoked. Everybody's like, stop it. Stop it. Everybody's freaking out. The bridesmaid Eva Mendez is saying, I've always told you. He's a jerk. Molly Shannon's yeah. telling him to stop dancing. The parents are losing their minds. It's yeah. pandemonium at the wedding. And yeah. uh, Will Ferrell runs away. Now, before we talk about how Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan reconcile, I do want to talk about um, this scene generally is a roadmap for what comedy should be because <laughs> you and I have talked about this. We like comedy that's dumb, right. deliberately dumb. We like it being low stakes. Yes. Molly Shannon, the bitch wife, I see her as kind of an allegory for Judd Apatow <laughs> uh, saying like, no, 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 you have to have feelings and everything has to be two hours long. But then... Chris Kattan comes in with the boombox. He's like, no, we can be stupid together. We can all be stupid together. This doesn't have to mean anything. Mm, I That's like what that is to I me. like that because there is a moment where the two of them look at each other and it's absolutely an opportunity to have a Lonely Island style hashing out <laughs> of what happened, but they don't. They don't. They just, they just reenact the end of Jerry Maguire. <laughs> That reference, little dated. Little dated, um, and it's over, basically. Although they just did that on Ted Lasso like two weeks ago. They did. Too, they did, so. and it was really good. 
Oh, we got to talk about Ted Lasso, by the way. Yeah, no, the the episode they just had was better. It, yeah. It, they're moving in the right direction. No, I'm happy they... Tony, they even said, listen, I haven't lost faith. I just knew that they were setting us up for something. But the You were right. The you whole, were absolutely thank right. Thank you. But the whole tagline of the show is be curious, not judgmental. And I was very worried with how judgmental you were being. Because I was like, they're going to do something. You can see Ted unraveling. That's true. You were right. You were 100% right. Ted Lasso's <sighs> good again, folks. Season two's good. God. It was a slow starter. It was a slow starter. It was a slow starter. But it's good. But they had to set and up I'm... everybody's stories. There's still six episodes left. It's going to be yeah. okay. Without without spoiling it, I'm just going to say I'm real glad that they're not shipping the people that they kind of head faked towards shipping yes. at one point. And they might, they might be end game, but they're not forcing it down our throats. Yeah. And I'm into yeah. that. Anyways. Anyways. Uh, okay. That, so that's still... how good this movie is, is that we have to talk about something completely different. <laughs> just, just swerving into Ted Lasso. Okay. Um, so, uh, basically, Molly Shannon ends up marrying the best man, the personal trainer. Well, yeah, because he's very ambitious. He wants to start his own uh, protein bar line and yeah. uh, be the guy who inspires people to work out. And she's like, great, let's look into infomercials. And then they get married. Yeah. And then uh, Richard Grieco teaches... Steve's dad to love his son. Yeah. Or <laughs> to love both his sons. Yeah. He uses the uh, psychology of acting to, yeah. to help. A, like, sir, I, you know, I study the human condition <laughs> in my job. He's like, you know, aren't uh, you being too hard on Doug? Don't you think that maybe you see a little of yourself in him? Yeah. It's like, who does Doug remind you of? <laughs> um, there's a great line later on. It's like, dad was really cool about the wedding once he talked to Richard Grieco. <laughs> It's great, but this is not even the most satisfying part. We no. get to find out that their dreams also come true in the last three minutes of the film. So they're driving down Sunset, and by the way, there is a billboard for The Daily Show with Craig Kilborn, oh, who was the host my God. before John Stewart took over. 1997, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're driving down Sunset, and they see a club that's inside out. Yes, the outside is inside, and the inside is outside. They're like, holy shit, that was the idea we told Mr. Zadir. And guess so, what? He cut him in. They, they get out. They're on the list. They go in. Zadir's there. They're like, there you guys are. I thought your idea was so good. I built the club myself, and now you're part owners. That is unbelievable, but I'm going <laughs> to roll with it because there's only two minutes left. Yeah, I love it. I love how fast they wrap it up. They go to the bar to get a drink. Chris Kattan orders a drink, and a hot lady says, I know that voice. <gasps> it's what? the Credit Vixen! Credit Vixen's there, because it's the hottest new club in town. And who's she with? The hottie cop! The hottie cop! Airtight script, every storyline closes out. And guess what? Fucking What Is Love starts playing as they go out to the dance floor, and hottie cop is like, oh, I love this song. And Will Ferrell's like, actually, I'm getting kind of sick of it. Yep, and then they and go everyone... up to like a stage area, and everyone's yeah. doing their dance. Everyone's just bobbing their heads. <gasps> what a beautiful moment. At this point, are Chris Kattan and Jennifer Coolidge broken up? I have, I feel like they probably are. <laughs> oh, super awkward. Or maybe, you know, they maybe they filmed this scene first. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They could have shot it out of order. That's true. And they don't have a lot of camera time together. Right. So. That's just the one scene. But, you know, hopefully... This is very upsetting. Knowing yeah, knowing okay. about uh, Jennifer Coolidge and like this interview she just did, I think for 
Variety. For White Lotus, probably. Yeah, for White Lotus. I think it was yeah. in Variety or GQ or something. And she was talking just about how difficult dating was for her. Ugh. And being in a relationship is very difficult for her, etc. Is absolutely heartbreaking. It's also a really great article in general just about how people expect her to be dumb, and she's not. And she's not. Yeah. She, she has... Um... I mean, she she also did a famous guest role in Seinfeld where she, again, talked like a normal person. But, like, yeah. you know, the Christopher Guest comedies, obviously she's playing a dumb character, but she's so fucking she's good so at good it. so good at it. And she's even she's... incredible at being kind of dumb and legally blonde as well. Oh, that's right. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And and then, of course, Stifler's mom. But she, yes. she's just hot. I, don't want, I wouldn't necessarily say she's playing dumb. I wouldn't say her character is necessarily uh, thoroughly written out. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, this was this is probably more on the early side of her career anyway. Yes. So she was, you know, being... This, is, this was two years before Best in Show when she married that nice man who liked soup, <laughs> soup. and snow peas. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I now with what I know about Chris Kattan, I kind of want to be like, let's talk timeline. Yeah, <laughs> it's God. very upsetting. Well, that brings us to our next segment. Uh, as you know, all of these uh, movies are meant to catapult SNL cast members into mainstream film success, and we observe whether it worked or not for them in our segment. Good for them. Yay! And my favorite. That brings us to Chris Kattan. The first sentence I've written down here is, I don't know, man, it's pretty fucked up. Uh, so uh, his career did basically fall apart because of this. He did Corky Romano like a couple years later. That was a huge flop. Oh, it was so good, um, though. And, uh, and it's very Italian X. Well, okay, I'll look into it. But <laughs> Wait, have you not seen it? I have not seen okay, it. Okay, I think just like as a bonus, probably should a like recommendation. <laughs> it's one of my favorite comedies. Okay. It's really good. Um. More recently, uh, he was the title character in an animated series uh, based on a children's book called Banicula, which is about a vampire bunny. Oh. Uh, and that is exclusively streaming on Boomerang. No. Never heard of that. Uh, That's so sad. That is, appears to be his biggest credit. Um, and so, you know, obviously we know how successful Will Ferrell became, and I'm not even going to belabor that. Um, he does get a strike against him for doing the singing Imagine video with... <laughs> with all the other <laughs> stupid celebrities. All the other stupid celebrities. That was like day 10 of the pandemic. No. What, it, what was that supposed to do? <laughs> uh, but here, here's the thing. is It's like Lauren Michaels has made a lot of these people into stars. Yeah. And if you don't sleep with Amy Heckerling, uh, you don't become a star. He can also stop you from becoming a star. And that brings me to a new segment I would like to introduce called Bad for Them. <laughs> uh, I think I know where this is going. So I'm not going to go into too many details on this because I don't want to. And I have a content warning up front anyways. But like um, there are some Saturday Night Live is currently being sued um, because uh, cast members, notably Horatio Sands, have been accused of alleged uh, sexual assault of minors um, using the show. Basically, what the what the lawsuit alleges is that like cast members like Sands and also Jimmy Fallon Ugh. is swept up in this too. Were like checking out SNL message boards online and inviting teens from the message boards to come to the after parties and stuff. And it's it's very gross and it's very bad. It's almost definitely going to settle very quietly mm-hmm. and very quickly. 
uh, you know, without going to court. Um, you know what's, and disappoint- I just want- I, what's disappointing about this is that that is the seasons where Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and Rachel Dratch and Maya Rudolph were there. Right. What happened? And, like, uh, you know, I don't know who was in what position of power in terms of producing and who knew what and stuff, but clearly, like, Horatio Sands wasn't the only guy that knew this was happening. Yeah. Right? It, is this, this involves a culture of everybody just kind of being cool with stuff happening that is not cool. Yeah. And um, I'm just going to... Seth Simons, like I said, he he, uh, does a lot of journalism in terms of, like, shitty things that happen in comedy. Yeah. Um, And and he's really great. He writes about SNL a lot. He writes about UCB a lot. He writes about, like, alt-right movements in in stand-up circles. Um, It's not... It will not make you feel good about the state of comedy, but... Um, what he wrote about this story, uh, really sticks with me. And he said, quote, I've been trying for several years now to shift the popular conceptualization of SNL from comedy show to comedy workplace. This, yeah, this is an almost 50 year old machine that determines who gets to be rich, famous, and powerful for the rest of their lives. For almost its entire existence, it has been run unilaterally by one person and for decades, its employees and former employees have been telling us what a nightmarish hellhole it is. <laughs> and once we force ourselves to stop measuring SNL by its entertainment value and start centering its function as a workplace, things get very scary. We're talking about an abuse factory with almost 50 years of untold horror stories involving powerless, vulnerable people with no one looking out for them in a world before social media could amplify their voices. And, you know, I don't want to get too dark here because we try to have fun on this podcast, but it's like, you know, we talk about SNL's place in comedy and a lot of shitty things have happened and a lot of shitty people have been involved with the show. And the comedy we've gotten out of it It doesn't even seem close to justifying any of this. No, I would say 15% of it is fantastic. Yeah. And possibly even necessary. To, yeah. to, like, talk about current events, uh, politics, just current, right. you know, uh, popular culture. It's a very, very, very low percentage. There are certain things they do that nobody else can do. Right. I would say right now they're not doing any of it well. No, 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 not at all. when they do do it well, it can actually be a very cool thing to watch. I mean, let's just talk about the Lonely Island. Sure. They, I think they make a very large portion of that small percentage of what is very, very good and enduring. And in fact, did it by working outside of the traditional confines of the show, right? They, yes. They weren't working live and they weren't going through Lorne. Exactly. They were just yeah. being, they just had good taste and they happened yes. to have the platform. Yeah. And unfortunately, Lorne got to take the credit for it, but he really didn't have much to do with that. Right. And the, I agree with you that it's like, it's a very small, it's very shitty comedy for the most part, and it's gotten worse. Uh, But as somebody who has been part of that, there are a lot of rules that interns have to follow. If you see Lorne, don't make eye contact with him. Like that, I thought it was a joke, but it's a real thing. You know, like uh, you 
have to if you're working past a certain time do not accept a ride from any cast member or person on the payroll you have to get a voucher for a town car a cab yeah or whatever yeah yeah. they the they provided like an nbc town car for you if you yeah which is like in itself it's like who's driving that car but (laughs) yeah it like there are a lot of things that you just like have to be aware of as like an early 20s late teens person i can't even imagine what it would be like being like the moderator of a fan site or a message board for these people being like hey why don't you come to an after party like i've been to an after party it's not like a friendly place to go if you're 15 you're not gonna feel like you fit in there yeah and if they like allow you to drink probably not a good idea yeah and and it's not and yeah I mean all, first of all all of that is horrifying right and I'm sorry that I learned that right um but it's like it it's not even like it's not even like we did all this for shitty comedy because like I don't think Night at the Roxbury is shitty no, either it's fine I think it's fine yeah we're doing all this for fine comedy right <laughs> and that that's arguably worse well I mean let's think about this on more of a macro level it, not just comedy just like the industry in general well sure yeah is probably even worse but yeah. the the way that SNL is put up on this pedestal as like the greatest comedy institution is inaccurate and in like all the books about it are very honest especially the one uh, live from New York where it's like interview based mm. it's all very honest but we still are like that's fine <laughs> yeah it's just, yeah it's at just... what point I think we'll get to this when we finally get to our King of Staten Island episode we'll talk about current <laughs> SNL but yeah. my question to the general world is at what point has SNL run its course yeah and at what point do we say, Lorne has to die? <laughs> Last thing I kind of want to... Oh, oh no. Actually, I want to ask if commonsensemedia.org... We did have a few. Notes. Yeah. We had a couple of... Um, we had a 17-year-old give a three-star review that I really liked. Uh, they said, 1998's attempted Saturday Night Live skit to movie adaptation is not so much a movie, but more like a short 81-minute series of skits that are almost completely right out of the show. So it's more like watching a greatest hits collection of Night at the Roxbury sketches from SNL. While it's mm-hmm. definitely far from being very good, it is fairly decent. And while it is sh- while it is so short, it actually manages to have some funny scenes thanks to Chris Kattan and Will Ford. Will Ferrell. So what a great review from a 17-year-old. Uh, yeah, I basically agree with all of that. Yeah, we're very apt. This person is probably older now and is writing for Gawker. Um, the <laughs> the uh, second review was a one-star parent review. And they said, yes, not for kids, not for anyone, for that matter. This is one of those movies that comes on Comedy Central at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Literally one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I couldn't even finish half of it. Chris Kattan is horrible and needs to be stopped. Well, parent, he was. <laughs> And those are the the only reviews that I thought were good. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, Chris Kattan, we hope you're doing okay. Uh, we're thinking of you. He needs to have uh, a Brendan Fraser comeback. He needs a Bre- he needs a Brendan Fraser renaissance. I agree a hundred percent. Because I do think he did a good job in this. He's movie. a good actor. Watch Corky Romano. It's stupid, but it's he's very good in it. I th- okay. I think he's a um, 
he's honest. Yeah. He's an honest actor, and I don't think we get a lot of that in comedy. There's a lot of winking and grinning. Yeah. But he's very I like he's that. Good. He commits. Yeah. He commits, and he's very grounded emotionally. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, we have Will Ferrell, who's Will Ferrell. <laughs> he's about what you would expect, yeah. yeah. Um, so... If, Listeners, here's the thing: if you're keeping track, if you're checking off the little SNL check boxes on your on your sheet that you printed out <laughs> to see if we would watch every SNL film, you might notice that you have actually checked all nine boxes at this point. We're done. We have watched all nine SNL movies. We are not watching Wayne's World two or Blues Brothers two thousand because come the fuck on, <laughs> like come on. So you may be saying, "Well, is the season over?" No. It's not over. Sorry. Uh, there are two more eras of SNL we're still going to cover. We're going uh, to extremes, too. Going to the absolute extremes, the very beginning and the very end of SNL. Uh, neither of those are periods I am looking forward to visiting. <laughs> Me either. I'm dreading the season finale, honestly, more because yes. that is a Judd Apatow movie and it is very long. <laughs> I mean, look, you guys have probably already figured it out because we've been talking about it the entire season. The finale is going to be King of Staten Island. <laughs> my um, a um. movie with a 135-minute runtime. <laughs> but we're very excited for next week's because it is a it's considered a comedy classic with some actual comedy legends, and we're very excited for that. So keep an eye out to find out which one that is. Yeah. Uh, and in the meantime, probably shoulda on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh, to see all the stupid bullshit uh, that we post. Uh, we will see you next week. Bye. What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Love, baby, don't hurt me